you find yourself pulled in multiple directions. But today on Awaken to Grace, we're going to talk about how most people are torn with their time, their energy, and their priorities. Well, we're going to show out of the Bible today how Scripture teaches we can have a singular focus in our lives. We're going to see how Paul says, this one thing I do. But before we get there, I want to show you how there's one thing we must know, and it's the blind man talking how he knew Christ. I'm going to show you how there's one thing we must seek, Matthew 6.33. We must seek the kingdom, and when we have this right order, well, like Paul, we will be able to say this one thing I do in life. So I'm glad you're joining us today on Awaken to Grace, and I hope today's sermon not only speaks into your life, but I hope you'll share it with a friend as well. So look with me, John chapter 9, verse number 1. The Bible says that Jesus and his disciples came alongside a man who had been born blind. The Bible doesn't tell us his name. The Bible doesn't tell us his age. The Bible doesn't tell us really very much about him at all. But what it does tell us, you can get the picture in your mind's eye and you can really see this man along the dusty roads of Israel. Now, the Bible says that his disciples in verse 2 ask him a really interesting question. The disciples, when they saw this man who was begging, who had been born blind, the disciples said, did this man, is his blindness over this man's sin or was it his parents who sinned? What an assumption. It's just like religious people, right? They just assume. And I love the answer that Jesus gave. When his disciples asked him this, I just picture, the text doesn't say this, but I just picture that the biggest smile came over Jesus over his face. Because what a teaching moment here. I think Jesus knew the impact that not only was going to be felt on that day, but the impact that was not only going to be felt throughout the centuries, as over 2,000 years later, you and I are discussing this story right here today in our corner of Tennessee. But not only is this story going to remain for all of human history, it's going to glorify God for all of eternity. Amen. Amen. And I think Jesus knew this. And I think the biggest smile came over his face because you know what he told his disciples? Neither. It's not this man's sin and it's not his parents' sin. Now notice Jesus didn't say the men that the man or his parents had never sinned because Romans 3.23, we all sin, right? We all fall short of God's glory. That's everyone. But this particular situation was not due to a specific sin of the past. This was not judgment upon him because of one specific sin. You know what Jesus said? It's right there in your Bible. He says that the works of God may be displayed. And I think he said it with a huge smile. Today, no matter what you're facing, no matter what hardship you're facing, no matter what difficulty you are in, have you stopped to consider that perhaps the reason the Lord is allowing it is because he's going to display his works within your life? He's going to display the glory of God in you in such a unique way that only God could ultimately glorify himself through your situation. Marketers will spend 
umpteen dollars to get your attention. They'll place billboards at certain intersections. They'll put them at certain red lights. They'll put them along interstates all to try to get your attention. And could it be that God is orchestrating and that God is arranging events within your life that will cause everyone around you to see the grace and the glory of God as only you could display it? And you want to take it even further. Ephesians chapter 1 teaches that you and I are to the glory. Our salvation is going to glorify God, not just now, but for all of eternity. We are going to display the glory of God. So why was this man born blind? Not over sin, but that he would display the works of God in his life. Well, then Jesus says something interesting. He says... We must work while it's day because the night is soon coming when no man can work. You know, when I understand that scripture like never before, some years ago I went to Africa. I was in Malawi in the city of Lulongwe and the surrounding villages. And as I spent time in those surrounding villages, I would go from village to village and preach the gospel. It's one of the most wonderful times of my life. They told me, and they weren't kidding, They said, Chad, as long as you have strength to preach, people will be saved. I took that serious. We'd start early in the morning. I'd go village to village. I'd sit in the clay dirt and teach Jesus and preach the kingdom of God. Little kids would come up to me and they would just rub me like this and say, Zungu, Zungu. That means white. And I asked my translator, I said, why do they rub my arm? (laughs) And he laughed and he said, they're trying to see if the white will come off. That was the first white man they'd ever seen. I'm telling you, we were, we were, we were back there now. We were, we were back and, and where I went, there was no electricity. And I didn't realize it was the first time in my entire born days that I was somewhere where I couldn't flip a light switch. I was somewhere where, where when the sun set, you were done. And I really began to understand what Jesus meant. We must work while it is day. We would start preaching early in the morning and we wouldn't quit until that beautiful African sun had set. And thousands came to Jesus. Churches were planted. It's beautiful. We must work while it's day because Christ is coming. And soon we'll no longer be able to work. And then he says, I'm the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But then what did Jesus tell his followers? You are the lights of the world. Why? Because Christ is in us. And then he does something very odd, something very unconventional. Jesus spits on the ground and makes mud. Isn't that interesting? He spits. He uses his saliva and spits on the ground and makes mud and then rubs them. On the man's eyes. Now, I'm sure commentators have interesting ideas on this, and I haven't read them, but let me just tell you my two cents for what it's worth. I don't find this odd at all. I don't find it strange in the least. Do you know why? Because what does the Bible say that man is formed out of? The dirt, the clay, the mud, the dust. That's why when we die... Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We return from whence we came. It's our spirit that goes to God, not not our flesh. Do you know what Jesus did when he made mud? 
Friends, all he did was use some spare parts. Amen. And let me tell you about God's spare parts. I had a woman pray for me over my eyes. And she told me, oh, it just, it just, it blessed me so much. She said, Chad, she said, let me ask you a question. She said, if Ford, if Chevy, if Toyota, if they are smart enough to create spare parts, she said, do you not think you creator who you're redeemed by the blood of the lamb and you're under warranty doesn't have spare parts for you. Amen. You better believe he does. Amen. And this is all he did. He just used some spare parts. Hallelujah. He's the creator. He can do anything he wants. And so he puts this mud over the man's eyes. And he tells him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Well, he does. And you know who it makes mad? You know who gets upset about it? The church folk. The religious people. How many of you have ever had run-ins with religious people, right? No, I can't see you. There's no sense in raising your... I, I ask questions, and then after I say it, I'm like, well, I can't see them. I don't know why I'm asking them to raise their hand. But you've ran into religious people, right? And now think about it. This man who was born blind, who had never seen anything in his life, who the Bible calls him a beggar. He didn't have a job. He was a professional beggar because he couldn't work a job. And so Jesus, he heals the man's eyes. And instead of the religious community embracing him, instead of him celebrating, instead of glorifying God, you know what they did? They condemned him. And they brought him before the Pharisees. They brought him before the religious leaders And they said, how did this happen? (laughs) Hear this, I mean, young pup, you know, just met Jesus. They, now he's in front of this big council and these are all the big wigs and they have all the power and all the authority and and, and instead of high-fiving him and saying glory to God or at least congratulations, they say, well, when did this happen? You know what the problem was? Is that Jesus did this on the Sabbath. It didn't fit their little religious box. You understand? And so they say, tell us, how did this happen? The blind man said, he said, well, this man named Jesus spit in the dirt, made mud, put it on my eyes. I went to the pool of Siloam and God opened my eyes. Well, you know what? They didn't believe him. Read read the text. It's right there. People in the town said, this is him. This is the guy who was begging. This is the man who was born blind. But the religious people didn't believe him. You know why they didn't believe him? Because they had never paid attention to him. Come on, church people. Amen? Amen. Who's around you that you're not paying any attention to? Who do you work with? Who do you drive past? Who you're not paying any attention to because they don't dress like you. They're not in your world. They're not in your sphere of influence. They didn't know him because they never paid attention to him. He wasn't welcomed in their circles. So this high and mighty council, these religious people, they bring in his parents. Now this is where the story gets crazy in my eyes. They bring his parents in and they say, tell us about your son. And they said, he was born blind and now his eyes are open. Well, how did this happen? And do you know what his parents did? They threw him under the bus. 
Listen to what they did. They said, we can tell you he was born blind. We can tell you he can now see, but we don't know how it happened. We don't know what happened. They said, he's of age. Ask him. He can answer for himself. John gives us the backstory. John tells us that his parents knew that whoever confessed Jesus, they would throw him out of the synagogue. And do you know what his parents are really saying? His parents are really saying, just don't risk our place in society. Ask him. We don't want to give up our spot. And so they bring him back a second time. Are you ready for this? Let me just, let me just do a disclaimer here. God saves people with smart mouths. And this guy had a smart mouth. And I'm going to show you. And I love it. Watch what happens. They bring him a second time. And they ask him, tell us, how did your eyes open? First, they threatened him and said, give glory to God. How did your eyes open? And you know what the man said? (laughs) It's beautiful. He said... I told you the first time, and you didn't want to hear it. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you wish to become his disciple? (gasps) Those are fighting words. Oh, and they were irate. Oh, they were so mad. And they said, his disciples, they said, we're disciples of Moses. You're the disciple of Jesus. And they said, from where did he come? Is he a sinner? And look at verse 25. What a splendid answer. You know what this man said? Verse 25. He said, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Amen. Now let me tell you something wonderful here. You say, Chad... I don't don't know how to share my faith. You know, I don't know how to witness to people and share what Jesus, you know, I don't know how to say it. I clam up. I don't have the words to say. This This is where I'm headed today. This man had a testimony. And this man didn't know all the religious stuff. But here's what he knew. He once was blind. But now he can see. Randy Lance, who pastors Crossroads United Methodist Church over in Allendale, he was here with us Tuesday night as our guest, and he preached our Tuesday night prayer meeting. And I love what he said. Listen to what he said. If you want to learn how to really share your testimony, it's so simple. It's only three simple things. Greg Laurie shares this. It's only three simple things. It's who I was. Before I met Jesus. It's what happened when I met Jesus. And it's who I am after meeting Jesus. That's your testimony. Amen. And if you've been authentically born again. Every one of us has this incredible testimony. That who was I before Jesus? I was lost. I was without Christ. I was undone. But what happened when I met Jesus, when he forgave my sin, when I surrendered my life, when I submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, when I got serious about following God, and this is who I am now. The life change that's come in me. So simple. You can do it in a minute. You can do it in a minute and a half, two minutes. Who I was before Jesus, 
what happened when I met Jesus, and who I was after. So these big wigs aren't done. He says, now whether he's a sinner, I can't tell you. He said, all I know is this one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. And with a, with a religious tone, they said, well, where did he come from? And you talking about a smart mouth. Oh my, verse number 30. Are you ready for this? This is so wonderful. I just, oh, I love it. Look at it, verse 30. He says, why, this is an amazing thing. This man opened my eyes and you don't know where he came from. Do you know what he's saying? Let me translate it for you. You're the experts. You're the religious people. You're the experts in the law. You know God. You're religious and you don't know where he came from. Are you kidding me? Isn't that wonderful? Do you know why this man was like this? Let me just tell you, because John tells us. Let me tell you why this man was like this. Because let me tell you who he was. All he was was a beggar. And these big wigs didn't impress him, and they didn't intimidate him. Amen? Let me tell you what I've learned being blind. People, people don't impress me anymore. They just don't. I don't care what you wear. I don't care what you drive. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what kind of money you got. You can't impress a blind man, amen? And this man didn't give a rip what these bigwigs said or what they thought. They never paid attention to him, amen? So he goes up to them and he goes, wow, this is amazing. You're the experts, you're the religious ones and you don't know where he came from. And then he throws a little theology at them. They didn't know he knew any theology. And you know what he says? This is beautiful. You know what he says? He says, well, here's what we know. <laughs> He's saying, I'm on trial. All right, here are the facts. We know that God doesn't listen to people who don't worship him, right? And I can hear him. I I'm sorry, am I right? <laughs> oh, I'm not asking you. I was, I was pretending to be him. But thank you. I'm glad you're engaged. And he says... We know that if someone doesn't worship God, God doesn't hear them, therefore God doesn't use them. And if this man wasn't from God, how could he do this work? Right? And you know what they did? <laughs> you know what they did? They were so indignant. They were so outraged. You know what they said to him? They said, you were born in utter sin and you're going to teach us? I bet he went, see ya. You didn't accept me in the first place, and I don't care if you accept me now. And the Bible says they cast him out of the synagogue. So what? And I know in my heart, there's some of you listening today. There's some of you watching online today. You're in the building today, and there are some churches that just never quite accepted you. Guess what? Who cares? Join the ranks of this former blind man, amen? Because let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that you are accepted in the beloved. What happened when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and the voice of God Almighty boomed and said, this is my what? Beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And you know what happens when you and I are accepted, not in the church, not in religious circles, not in the high and mighty. You know what happens when we are accepted in the beloved? God sees us as just as he sees Jesus. 
And you're accepted in that. And so they cast him out. See, it didn't matter. Because this man had a testimony. He knew one thing. He knew one thing. He was once blind, and now he sees. Now, he wasn't quite transformed yet. Now, watch what happened. He still got a smart mouth on him. I don't know what happened to it. Maybe he kept it. I don't know. But when he gets kicked out, Jesus goes looking for him. And when Jesus finds him, Jesus says, do you believe on the Son of God? And what a humble answer. You know what this man said? Now, remember, he was smart-mouthed with the religious people, but not with Jesus. He said, sir, tell me who he is that I may believe. Isn't that a beautiful answer? Some of you here today, many of you watching online, you're searching. You're searching. You've tried Wicca. You've tried spiritual this and that. Oh, what a spiritual age ours is, but you've not found what you're looking for. It's only in Jesus. And so the man says, tell me, tell me who it is that I may believe. And then Jesus says, what I'm convinced now may be one of the sweetest phrases in the Bible. And again, I think Jesus couldn't help. I think he smiled from ear to ear. And I think the greatest smile came over his face. And you know what he tells the man? You've seen him. And he's speaking to you. What does that mean to a blind man? To be able to say, you see him. Hallelujah. Amen. What sweet words. What sweet words. When the religious people condemned and when they folded their little religious arms and they looked down upon him, know what did Jesus say? You're looking at him and he's speaking to you. And you know what the Bible says he did? Oh, how sweet. The Bible says that he fell down and he worshiped him. This one thing I know, this one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Do you have such an encounter with Jesus in your life? Do you have such an encounter that who you were is not who you are today? John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. John Newton lived in England, and if you don't know his story, it's worth reading. But let me give you the 22nd nutshell story of his. John Newton was a slave trader. He sailed from England to Africa. He captured slaves. He ripped families apart. He'd put them on ships and bring them back to England and sell them. And he was a wicked man. Wicked. And God saved him. He immediately quit the slave trade and became a pastor. And you know what happened when John Newton died? His memory was fading. He's on his deathbed. And among his last words, he couldn't remember hardly anything. And among his last words, do you know what John Newton said? This one thing I remember. I was a great sinner, but Christ 
is a great savior. Praise God. Amen. <clears throat> Number two, go with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Uh, I'll move along here. What time is it? <laughs> it doesn't matter. I appreciate that. What time? 12.05. Okay. Oh, I'm in good shape. Amen. I'm in good shape. Pastor Phil mentioned those random acts of kindness and somebody paid for their breakfast. Just to let you know, I go through McDonald's about every morning at 8 o'clock. So, you know, if you're there, <laughs> look for me. Amen. <laughs> I'm kidding. Sometimes I'm at Burger King. But anyways. Um, <clears throat> so, if there's one thing that we are to know, I'm talking about a singular purpose. I'm talking about tunnel vision here. I'm talking about protecting yourself from getting pulled this direction. That As you go through the holidays, don't, don't let people and other people's things just pull you in every different direction. No, uh, really seek out a singular vision this holiday season. But the first step is we have to know. We have to know we've passed from death unto life. We have to know that our relationship with Jesus is really genuine. And then when we know that, that we don't have a religious faith, but what we have is indeed a saving faith, well, then we can take the next step. And what's the next step? Matthew 6, Jesus tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things? All these things you worry about. All these things that you're concerned about clothing and food and, and and you know in our culture we're so blessed here that many of us don't worry about clothing or food but what do we worry about we worry about house payments and we worry about retirement we worry about uh, college and we worry about the future and we worry about all of these things let me tell you Jesus tells us clearly don't worry about those things some of you are worried about a future diagnosis some of you are worried that because cancer has been in your family, it's going to come up on you. Some of you are worried about how you're going to pay for college and you're worried about what your career is going to be. You're worried about who you're going to marry or you're worried about what you're going to do if you're ready for retirement. And just all of these worries are upon us in our culture. And Jesus would say, stop. What he would say to our culture as well as what he said to his culture is do this one thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things you worry about, God will give them to you. Isn't that wonderful? Don't worry about things. Worry is such the opposite of faith and you won't have both. You'll have one or the other. Either Either your faith is going to starve out your fears or fear is going to wear your faith out and you're going to have one or the other. And what's going to determine is what you feed the most. So don't allow yourself to worry. When you start to worry, you stop and go, no, 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 that's against the Bible. I'm not going to do that any longer. I want to seek first the kingdom. Now, what is the kingdom? Let's just define this. I like this morning, Dave came up to me and told me he defined the kingdom as just doing things God's way. Amen. What is the kingdom of God? Listen, it is the rule and it is the reign of Jesus Christ in your life. 
This morning, someone comes to the altar and they repent of their sins. You know what that is? That's the rule and reign of Jesus coming into their life. Somebody lets go of bitterness. Someone forgives someone from their past. Someone lets go of greed or they let go of guilt. And what is that? That's the kingdom of God being exercised in your life. That's seeking first the kingdom. And you know what I hear as a pastor? I hear so many people desiring God's will. So many people are seeking God's will. I don't know who to marry and I don't know what job to do and I don't know if I should change careers or I don't know if we should get this house or I don't know if we should move here or whatever the case. And so many of us seek the will of God whereas in reality what we should be seeking is the rule and the reign of Jesus in our lives. And as we submit to his rule and reign as the kingdom of God is being exercised in us, then you know what? The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. You're going to walk right into the will of God. You're going to walk right into it. And it's going to formulate in you and in your life. And you're going to be smack right in the middle of God's will. Why? Because the rule and reign of Jesus is being exercised in your daily life. Does that make sense? So here's my question. Where's your priorities? Does your priorities reflect the culture? Does your priorities reflect your stage of life? Because as the stages of our life change, our priorities change, do they not? Do they reflect your current life stage? Do they reflect the culture? Do they reflect your career? Whatever. Or do they reflect the kingdom of God? Amen. So where's your priorities? I want to encourage you because I preach so rarely on tithing. I've only preached one sermon this year on tithing. And beyond that, it was three years prior to that that I preached on tithing. But let me just encourage you. You want to start with the right priorities? Get serious in giving to God. I'm telling you right now that before Sadie and I got I mean, rock, solid, serious about our giving. Our heads were above water, but it was like this. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And I'm telling you, since we got serious, last week was so busy. We went from Hymn Sunday to the women's conference. And, you know, Sadie has to do all the financial stuff because I can't see it. And she was so busy with women's conference. Kim Scalf came up to me yesterday morning before the conference began. And, you know, very motherly and very tenderly, she said, Chad, you're going to need to give Sadie a day off. You don't know how hard she's worked. She needs a day off. And which I said, Thursday, Thanksgiving's coming. (laughs) I'm joking. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) but we were we were so busy we forgot to tithe last week we just forgot and we set it up where it's automatic and something glitched where it didn't it for the last few weeks we've had to do it manually but we do it automatic and uh and we're so serious so serious we went back and made up last week and this week. Why? Because uh, are there little angels with green visors going? <laughs> are there little angels up there calculating? 
oh, they missed a week. Right here it is. No, 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 no. It means that God's kingdom, his kingdom is such priority to us. We're not gonna rob God. Amen? So is it a priority to you? Seek first the kingdom of God. We have it designed to where when I get paid and she gets paid, it's the first thing that comes out. Not last week because we forgot. But (laughs) every other week, it is literally the first. And you know what the Bible calls that? First fruits. Amen? And I just encourage you. I encourage you, prioritize the kingdom of God in your life. Lastly today, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Boy, if anybody had this right, it was the apostle Paul. And listen to what Paul said. Now, Paul did many great things in his life, and he did many terrible things. There were many sins, and there were many successes. And listen to what Paul says, verse 13. He says, now, brothers... I do not consider that I've made it my own. You can hear a lot of humility in that. But what's our title today? This one thing. He says, but this one thing I do. Follow my progression. When you know the Lord, I'm talking life change. I don't mean know him as in You go to church every once in a while. I don't mean know him as in you own a Bible. I'm talking he changed your life. He changed your nature. You are born again and the spirit of God lives in you. When you know Jesus, then you can seek first his kingdom. And you know what happens as you begin to seek first the kingdom? Then action comes into your life. This one thing I know, this one thing I seek, this one thing I do. Amen. And we're not a jack of all spiritual trades and a master of none. No, we know Jesus, we seek his kingdom, and therefore we do the work of God. Amen. And this is what he says, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Paul had a unique ability to forget his past. And let me say something here very specific. That means forgetting past sins. There's some of you that every time you begin to get serious about God, Satan is all over you saying, well, you can't do that because you know who you've been. You can't do that because you know the sin of your life. You can't do that. You'd be a hypocrite. You don't deserve this. You don't deserve that. Isn't he an accuser of the brethren? A couple years ago, Richard Hilton preached here. I've told this story before, but I want to share it again since i got a few extra minutes here. Uh, listen to what Richard said. He said for years, he'd get ready to preach. He'd be sitting on the front row, and right before he'd take the platform, Satan would say, you don't deserve to preach. You don't deserve to get up there. You don't deserve that. And it would wear him out, and he'd get all discouraged. But then one day, it dawned on him, and listen to what he told the devil. The devil said, you don't deserve it. And you know what he said? He said, I agree with you, devil. I don't deserve it. That's why it's God's grace, amen? I don't deserve anything that God gives me. Everything I have is the grace of God. Hallelujah. So you forget your past sins. They don't bother God. Quit letting it bother you. And just let grace be grace in your life. And don't 
hold on to those past and all that mess. You let grace be grace. Is your sin greater than God? And yet he forgave it. Why can you not forgive yourself if God forgave you? If God Almighty forgave you, who are you to not forgive yourself? Amen. I'll preach to myself. Amen. And I'll amen myself. Hallelujah. Not only do you have to forget your past sin, you got to forget your past success. My ears perk when I talk to Christians and I keep hearing a certain phrase. I used to. I used to serve God doing that. I used to be involved in that. Oh, I used to be part of that. I used to do that. I used to do this. Friend, you're living in the past. You're living off past successes. What are you doing for God right now today? Forget the things that are behind and look forward to what is ahead. Amen? Amen. Some of you are in later years in life and you're saying, well, what? No, 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 no. I don't care what stage of life you're in. You look ahead to what God has for you. Could you imagine going up to a kid graduating high school and saying, well, you have your high school diploma. Congratulations, your life is over. No. They call it a commencement, right? Why? Because their life has just began. Friends, it's the same with you. Look ahead to what God has ahead. Quit looking in the past. Let the past be the past. Whether it's sin or whether it's success, leave it in the past and look forward to what God has. The last thing I'll share with you. Verse 14. Paul says, I press toward the mark of the high prize, of the calling of the high prize of God in Christ Jesus. What does he mean, I press? Do you know what this word press literally means? Have you seen Olympic runners run and as they near the finish line, what do they do? They lunge forward, don't they? I mean, they lunge. And it literally means, listen to what the word press means. It literally means to strain. It means to strain with every muscle and lean forward. Friends, Are you straining with every spiritual muscle to the glory of God? Or are you in a big spiritual recliner with your feet propped up as comfortable as you can be? You know what the word says in the book of Amos? Woe unto those who are at ease in Zion. God don't want you comfortable. God wants you lunging. He wants you pressing. He wants you straining toward the finish line with all that you have. You know the runners who do that are the ones who value the prize. Do you value what God has for you? Or are you just working for a measly paycheck? Do you exist for paycheck? for what you can accumulate? Do you exist for that next home? Do you exist for that next car? Do you exist for that nest egg? And do you just accumulate and accumulate it? And all the while, 
like Laodicea. You're fat, lazy, and you're not straining with all of your might. Friends, as the year turns, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I want to spur you along. I want to, oh, with all my heart, I want to see you press toward the mark. But see, you got to know Jesus to do it. It's like in the game of baseball. If someone hits the ball way out into into the field and they're rounding the bases and I mean first and second and third and they're on the stretch toward home and the outfielder throws it in and there's a collision at the home plate and the guy gets in and he's safe. If he missed first base, what's the call? What's the ruling? Friends, what a shame it would be for you to tag every base except the first one. What a shame it would be for you to be baptized, for you to know the songs, for you to own your Bibles, for you to sing along and you to be part of church. And when one day you stand before God because you never tagged first base, because you didn't know Jesus in a life-changing way, God will call you out. What a shame. Do you know Jesus? Has he transformed your life? Have you passed from death unto life? Or old things passed away and everything's become brand new because God made you a new creation? Has that happened? If not, get serious with God. Get serious. Today is the day of salvation. Today, not tomorrow today. Come to this altar, repent of your sins, and ask Jesus to save you and change you. Are you seeking first the kingdom? Is your priorities all over the map? Or are they reflecting the heartbeat of God? Seek first his kingdom, and then all those things you worry about, God has well in hand, and he's going to take care of you. That doesn't mean do nothing, That means stop worrying and trust God. And lastly, are you doing? Are the things behind you that need to be behind? And are you pressing forward? Let's bow our heads today. Matter of fact, let's stand. Let's just stand. We've had such a great day in the presence of God. Such a great worship time. Have you tagged every base but that first one? Did you miss first base? If you need to come and pray today, whether that's for salvation, whether that is for the right priorities, and you say, Chad, I'm tired of living life the way I'm living it. I'm tired of my own priorities. I'm tired of my own agenda. And today I'm going to come to the altar and I'm going to say, God, I'm going to rearrange and I want you to rearrange it. The best I know how, I'm going to seek first the rule and reign of Jesus in my life. Or if you need to come today and say, I'm going to begin doing. I'm living off past success. I'm crippled by past sin. And no more today is going to be in the past. And when I get up from that altar, I'm going to look ahead to what God has for me. 
No matter what you need to pray for, we have people today who will pray with you. I want you to slip out of your chair right now. I want you to come and pray. I want you to pray. Do you need to know Jesus? Do you need to seek the kingdom of God? Do you need to begin to do like never before? I want you to come right now. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Come and pray. And let this be the greatest holiday season you've ever had. Why? Because everything is right in your life. Hallelujah. Your relationship with Jesus is right. Your priorities are right. Your actions are right. Your thinking is right. Everything is right before Almighty God. Amen. You come right now. You come right now. You come right now. Hallelujah. Be sensitive. Deacons, deacons' wives, other leaders, be sensitive to who you need to pray for. When you come pray with somebody, ask them, what are you here to pray for? How can I pray with you? Let's pray together. Don't walk out the doors the same way you walked in. Walk out different today, amen, because Jesus has touched your life, because Jesus transformed you. Hallelujah. God, we give you glory today for what you're doing in our life. Just like the man who was born blind, who bowed down and worshiped you. God, we worship you today. We worship you as he did 2,000 years ago. We worship you, Jesus Christ, for the change you bring in us. Hallelujah, 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 Lord. We worship you, we worship you. We worship you to the glory of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. We seek first your kingdom, Lord. We prioritize our life after you in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless our families. Bless our children. Bless our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, Lord. Bless our families this holiday season, Jesus. Help us, God. I pray for families that are, uh, they got, they're, they're splintered. And Lord, there's friction this Thanksgiving. And families against family. And, and it's just all this mess. God, would you reconcile and bring reconciliation to families, Lord. Would you help them in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, we give you glory today. We give you honor. Thank you for changing our lives. Whether that's in salvation, whether that's in priorities, or whether that's in going forward instead of living in the past, you change our lives to the glory of God. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, I thank you. I thank you with all my heart. I thank you with all my heart. I thank you with all my heart.